0: Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello everyone, good evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. An absolute pleasure to be with you once again for another run around the track. Lots to get through. Lots of fun to be had. So I hope you can stick around. Grab yourself a drink. Grab yourself a snack. Settle in. Skol! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. I am your host, Boogie Bumper. Hopefully for the next hour or so, we'll see how we go. We might go a little bit longer. Might even flow into tomorrow. We might do a very special... Just This is just for you guys who caught the beginning of the show. This is just going to be special hot goss off the press for the people who line up to buy tickets before the ticket booth opens. The people who get there at the very front of the line. This is going to be hot goss just for you. I might have enough stuff to do a show tomorrow as well at 6pm. But we'll see. Not making any promises, not making any commitments. But I may have enough stuff to flow on into another episode. So, but don't tell anybody. If people weren't here for that, they missed out. It's just between you and me. (laughs) Keep that under your hat. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Lots to get through, like I said. Uh, Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to delve deep into the psychology of the right-wing lunatic. That would be you. If you're a Donald Trump supporter in this scope right now watching this show, uh, the good people at the media outlets, ladies and gentlemen, have have begun the arduous task of breaking down your psychology, figuring out what makes you tick, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your motivations, your desires... Your fetishes when it comes to politics, and all of the above. So, we're going to go through and break that down for you tonight as we analyze Donald Trump, the king of chaos. A <laughs> uh, quick reminder if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you'd like to psychologically analyze me, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Just a quick Uh, PSA about Twitter. Yes, you would have heard by now that uh, the two friends that we promote on this show at the end of each and every podcast, uh, our good friends James R and Chris Mack, both got Twitter whacked overnight. They both got driven out into the middle of the desert somewhere and when they weren't looking, popped. And now we think... It has something to do with one of these third-party applications, uh, an auto-retweet service. And uh, Chris was asking me last night on his show. I watched the replay; I wasn't there live, and he was wondering why I wasn't one of the ones whacked. Well, I never used that app. Never used it. Um, here's the thing: I don't. I'm not a big Twitter guy. People who follow me would know that. Sometimes I go two, three days without tweeting. Um, I don't really get involved in social media wars. If something pops into my head, I tweet it out. Uh, I rarely use hashtags. So um, it's never been like a main focus of mine. I'd rather focus on, you know, this, what I'm doing here. So, and I know that's probably a little bit counterproductive because these days you can't have one without the other. But the idea of this... This application and applications like it never appealed to me. And in fact, in private, I've had these conversations with various people, like why they should probably not use applications like this. Because what we have to understand is, in the aftermath of the 2016 election, ladies and gentlemen, you'll know the reams and reams and reams and reams of column space that was used, the hours and hours that were debated in Congress and in the Senate on one of the hot topics being, you know, Uh, artificial amplification by bot farms and Russian bots or just bots in general. Um, So it's, it's very difficult because, see, here's the thing. They can't analyze whether the person on the other side of the computer monitor is in fact a human or not. The only thing that they can analyze is the action and the behavior of a particular account. So we all know people who are real-life human beings that we've spoken to who have had their accounts suspended for bot activity. You know, we think that you are a bot. And on the surface, you're like, well, that's ridiculous because I know this person. This real-life living, breathing human being who walks around and has a job and, you know, cooks dinner for their kids and whatnot. How can you say that this person is a bot? The reason is in the failings and in the flaws of the system which is being introduced to Analyze this data. So, if somebody, um, you know, retweets very often, retweets certain accounts, if they like a certain amount of people, if they act in a certain way, then they might get scooped up in an algorithm which is sniffing around on Twitter looking for bots, right? So, I never like the idea of an app that would take my my activity and uh, replicate it in a mechanical fashion. You know what I mean? So. But that's not to say that um, eventually I won't be the one that will get banned anyway at some point in the future anyway. Because I'm of the suspicion that this is only going to be an increasingly, um, this is this is only going to amplify. This is only going to accelerate, especially as we get closer to uh, 2020, regardless of the fact that I'm not even an American. You know what I mean? I'm just a commentator. So I, I can't even vote, but that's not going to matter too much. The fact that I just, you know, analyze articles and news clips and whatnot for this little podcast. But um, I suspect at some point, because it'll be it'll be a situation where, I mean, we did the story a couple of weeks ago of the guy who got accepted into Harvard University and he came through immigration at the airport and he was denied a visa, even though he was accepted into Harvard. He was denied a visa because of what his friends were posting on Facebook, not even him. It was people in his friends list, right? And now this isn't even a bot uh, algorithm scoop-up job. This was a real-life human being reading his Facebook account and said, well, we can't trust you because of what your friends say about America. And, you know, we went over that article and I said it was understandably horrifying and this is the kind of future we're going into. So I suspect at some point in the future, even though I have a natural aversion to these kinds of programs and these kinds of applications for the fact that i know that these particular platforms are looking for bot-like activity and anything that replicates bot-like activity whether it's well-intentioned or otherwise is likely to at some point uh get caught up in the dragnet of these you know these applications right i suspect at some point there will be somebody on my followers list or somebody who retweets me who is nefarious or is a bot-like who exhibits bot-like activity and they'll probably just ban me too because if you think of it, how many uh, billions of people are using Twitter, um, you know, 5 or 10,000 here and there, they're, they're not going to care. And it's much more important to them for them to say, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're taking action. We've banned half a million accounts that displayed bot-like activities. Um, they're, they're not going to care about any individual who's wrapped up in that half a million accounts that they can boast about. You know what I mean? And nobody's going to read the appeal. But that's just the way it rolls. That's just the way it's going to go, I suspect. So, you know, whilst it was uh, James and Chris last night for allegedly apparently using this application, which is apparently in the terms of service, but I don't know. But it's apparently in the terms of service that it's okay to use, even though um, that might be the reason today. But then tomorrow um, they might go through and just get anybody who you know retweeted that account and then i would be one of those people even though i know james is a real life human being we had real life conversations on the phone that's not going to matter they'll say you retweeted a bot account therefore you must be a bot also and then offered his head so it's pretty arbitrary if you ask me but again (laughs) what did what did we expect what did we think it was all leading up to Why did we think all of the conversations and all of the pseudo-investigations and the grilling of the Twitter executives, why do we think that certain people were focusing on Russian bots, Russian bots, Russian bots, Russian bots? Because if you define bot-like activity as retweeting things and liking things in a particular fashion, then pretty much the most avid Donald Trump supporter will be classed as a bot and their account will be done away with. It's very loose definitions and punishments are applied with, you know, strict compliance. It's a perfect storm. Uh, aren't the algorithms bots themselves? No. No, not necessarily. But I know what you mean. I, I get what you're saying. But yeah, so, you know, they're but for the grace of God go I today, but then tomorrow it might be a different story. But if you are still wanting to keep up with James and Chris, as you should, because they do great content, um, James's, Chris's new Twitter handle is, well, it's not actually, for the purposes of, you know, being upfront and honest here, it's not actually Chris doing it because that would be a violation of Twitter terms and service. So it's somebody who's looking after an account for Chris. So if you follow at the Mac files 44, you won't actually be following Chris as per as pursuant to the Twitter terms and service, you won't actually be following Chris McDonald. You'll be following somebody very closely associated with Chris McDonald who will relay the message to him. And then he will relay the message to the person and the person will get back in touch with you and say thank you very much for following this new account, which is absolutely not Chris McDonald, but some, rather somebody very close to him. And the same applies for James but I can't remember James's new Twitter handle because for some reason, I think he's become recently an aficionado of Egyptian hieroglyphics and he's decided to put a whole bunch of numbers that maybe he's been reading the Da Vinci Code recently or something. So James's new Twitter handle, which is not James, but someone close to him who will relay the message to him and he'll relay the message back because doing otherwise would be a violation of Twitter terms of service, ladies and gentlemen. That new Twitter handle is James JamesR87253010. I feel like I'm at a call center. That number again. <laughs> call up now to get a 30% discount on new steak knives. That number again, James R, 8725-3010. Call now. So, yeah. Um, let me jump straight into it here. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Daily Boogie. Let's kick it off with our article, shall we? I tell you what, it's been a while since we've done one of these. Where is my shredder? Now you face the
1: shredder.
0: Shred this shit up, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, Donald Trump, king of chaos. This is from the good people of Salon. New research on right-wing psychology points toward big trouble ahead. Trump supporters want chaos and destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, now we're already well. This could take a while, so you may want to brew a cup of coffee as we go through this line by line. The line "Trump supporters want chaos and destruction" seems a little odd to me. Now, I'm not. I'm. I'm absolutely. I'm not going to disagree with the experts at Salon, who have obviously put a lot of time and research and objective reporting into this article. Um, But the Trump supporters that I've spoken to and dealt with and observed over the last, say, four years, I mean, don't you think it's a little strange to accuse people of being a fascist who also want chaos and destruction? From my, granted, very layman understanding of political philosophy, I would have thought the chaos and destruction was more the anarchist-type mentality, wouldn't you? (laughs) It's like... Donald Trump wants a fascist wonderland. Donald Trump is an authoritarian fascist. He wants law and order and strong borders and suppressing of minority voices. And now, today, for some reason, this equates to chaos and destruction. <laughs> Are you keeping up at home? The new fascism, ladies and gentlemen, is chaos chaos and destruction. Apparently. Uh, when their bad drug high finally wears off, it won't be pretty. Donald Trump is the king of chaos. He has lied at least 12,000 times since becoming president of the United States. These lies are often obvious and lazy, such as incorrectly claiming that Hurricane Dorian would hit Alabama, Alaslamma, and then forcing scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to parrot his lies. That was, That's news to me. I didn't know that. Did you know that he strong-armed the scientists at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to, quote, parrot his lies? <laughs> I didn't know that. I had no idea. Hello? Yes, is this is this the oceanic? Are you the hurricane people? Are you the hurricane people? Listen, you you saw what I did with that marker there on that map. Did you see that? Okay, now what you want to do is you want to come out and put out an official report that said that backs up everything that I say, okay? Otherwise, I'm going to have you monitoring hurricanes in Alaska by the end of the week. You understand me, you science egghead piece of shit? Just say what I say, or there'll be hell to pay. Not sure that actually happened. Trump is an unapologetic and unabashed is unabashed in his contempt for American democracy and the rule of law. He hates the rule of law, folks. <laughs> Don't you remember that article last week where Donald Trump was saying we need to abolish ICE? Oh, wait. No. Interesting, isn't it? He wants destruction and chaos. He's a fascist who simultaneously wants to destroy the, <laughs> the country and the culture. Many mental health professionals, this is the article, have concluded he is unwell. He lacks impulse control and evidences sociopathic behaviour. Trump acts like a self-styled mob boss. He's no John Gotti, let me tell you. If you've ever done any research into John Gotti, now there's a mob boss. The dapper Don? Come on, Trump's not even close. America's own spies do not trust our unpredictable president to act responsibly with the country's secrets. Trump is mercurial in his cruelty, waiting until people are in dire need to punish them, often based on sheer bigotry and racism. Most recently, he has refused to let desperate people from the Bahamas enter the United States after their homes were destroyed by Hurricane Dorian. He tells his subordinates to break the law as they execute his plans and promises to pardon them if they do so. He fires people on a whim in order to ensure their loyalty. He ignores any restraints on his power as mandated by the Constitution. and <laughs> Progress is under assault in America. As Trump and his allies are overturning the human and civil rights of non-whites, women, LGBT people, the disabled, and everyone else, he and his movement deem to be less than the other. Chaos, the author continues, is at the nucleus at the age, in the age of Trump. This chaos and the disruption and destruction it causes manifests in many ways. Where is all this destruction happening? Where is all of this chaos and destruction taking place? Can somebody please send me some footage or send me a map? Please tell me. Where is the disruption and destruction and chaos actually happening? Because I'm looking, I can't see it. Can somebody point me to the chaos, please? Trumpism is a form of backlash politics, fueled by white rage at a perceived loss of privilege and power in a more diverse and cosmopolitan world. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the good people of San Francisco right now, as they pull down their drawers to release yet another uh, excrement into the streets, celebrating the diversity and cosmopolitan nature—nature, uh, uh, me—nature of their very progressive city. Trumpism, the uh, the article continues, is a temper tantrum along the global color line, fueled by anxieties about power and social dominance. <laughs> I just I don't you get the feeling sometimes that when uh, these people are churning out this garbage that they think that okay this time it's going to work this time if I put down that it's about a global movement of white rage that's why Donald Trump is the president if I write it down this time this time people are going to believe it this time it's going to make sense. This time, all of the racists and the KKK people are going to snap out of it and go, Oh my God, I can't believe it. This whole time I've been a Nazi and I didn't even know. I had no idea. Thank you, Salon. Backlash does not occur because conservative cadres and followers are anti-modern, irrational or even unusually bigoted. Backlash is triggered, rather, because ideal and material structures of the status quo have been abruptly displaced. Okay, so, see, this is the fun part for me. In the previous paragraph, they referred to the perceived loss of privilege and power, right? They referred to it the perceived loss of social dominance. But then, in the very next breath, they talk about it's, it's, a, it's triggered by the actual structures being a, abruptly displaced, so is it real or is it perceived? Is it real that the structures have been displaced and social dominance hierarchies have been overturned? Is it real or is it just a perception? Is it just a right-wing conspiracy theory? See how we play both sides of the angle at all times? No, these, these, these concerns that you have, you bigot, are just in your head. They're just made up. It's just fantasy. It's just doom. It's just conspiracy theory. And the only reason that you have these concerns and these feelings, the only reason that you are uh, propagating these conspiracy theories, is because you're upset that the social hierarchy and the dominant structure has been overturned. <laughs> 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 those who occupied those structures wish to return to the time before displacement, when they were sitting and standing in what was obviously, and not just in retrospect, A better place. (laughs) In their 2016 article, Trump, Brexit and the Rise of Populism, social scientists Ronald Inglehart and Pippa Norris also locate Trumpism as part of a global right-wing movement that is channeling what they describe as retro backlash. Remember back in the 90s when retro backlash just meant wearing bell bottoms and putting more shit in your hair? Weren't those the good old days? Remember the late 1990s, the early 2000s, when a retro backlash just meant putting on a zoot suit and going to see Big Bad Voodoo Daddy play some 1930s-era swing music? Remember those retro backlashes? Weren't those the days? Weren't they fantastic? Do you remember the retro backlash in the late noughties of everybody going out and buying old Ataris and Sega Mega Drives and playing old video games on the internet? Remember that retro backlash? That was great, wasn't it? So wholesome and harmless and fun. Those retro backlashes were fun. But now, unfortunately for us, since Donald Trump has become president and leader of the free world, a retro backlash means basically uh, undoing any kind of mass immigration, throwing minorities into prison camps, and basically being a fascist who wants to destroy the world. It's like, oh, damn it. Damn it, we lucked out. Pinochet <laughs> in the chat on YouTube. All hail retro backlash. <laughs> Trumpism is doing the work of accelerationism. (laughs) Now, see, again, from one paragraph to the next, right? From one paragraph to the next. If it's a retro backlash, if people are yearning for social norms and traditions which are no longer followed... And if they want to go back to a period where those social norms were followed, where those traditions were adhered to, how can it be accelerationism to destroy the world? (laughs) You can't be both things. You can't be a traditionalist and an accelerationist at the same time. Because if you're an accelerationist, you're, you're basically trying to hand over the world to your opponent so they destroy it. If you're a traditionalist, you're, you're hanging on for grim death, trying to save whatever you can, trying to stop progress. They said he's trying to stop progress, right? Progress is under threat from Donald Trump, the king of chaos. So on the one hand, he's the enemy of progress, and on the other hand, he's an accelerationist who's speeding everything up. An ideology which holds that this is accelerationism. An ideology which holds that the destruction of the existing social order must be hastened, regardless of the human cost, so that a new and better world can be created. Trumpism is a means through which right-wing reactionary versions of accelerationism is being enacted in the United States. Writing in The Guardian, Andy Beckett summarises the goals of accelerationist thinkers, quote, They often favour the deregulation of business. <laughs> Yep. It's, it's like the founding fathers were all accelerationists trying to burn down the world. <laughs> what, is, what is this 5% tax on tea that you're hitting us with? I think we should have less regulations. You, you sound like a dangerous accelerationist ideologue, my friend. You sound like a king of chaos. They often favour the deregulation of business and drastically scaled back government. This is Apparently, this is what accelerationists believe. They believe that people should stop deluding themselves, that economic and technological progress can be controlled. They often believe that social and political upheaval has value in itself. But I thought that was your platform. I thought saying that social and political upheaval has value in itself was a progressive platform right what happened to fight for justice fight for equality down with the patriarchy down with capitalism right why do we have gender quotas and racial quotas in certain businesses why do we need to police hate speech why do the definitions of certain words need to be changed Why do we need to change the way that we look at the world? Why do we need to increase mass immigration? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most inverted shit I've ever read in my life. So you, if you're a Donald Trump supporter, you apparently believe that social and political upheaval has value in itself. You might well do, but that has always been the platform of the people who hate you. And as evidenced in this very article which they're writing, in which they say that progress is under threat, that you're trying to cling to traditional values which are no longer relevant. It's all here in black and white. You are both things. You are all things at all times. (laughs) Make my Texas says hush with your logic. Predictably, white supremacists and other right-wing terrorists, this is the article, have embraced accelerationism because they understand it to be a viable strategy for destroying multiracial society. Going beyond a conceptual framework, new research shows how backlash politics and accelerationism are lived through and experienced by Trump supporters and make clear that Trump's hold on them will be difficult to break, difficult if not impossible to break. One might suggest, ladies and gentlemen, that if the hold that the accelerationist king of chaos, who is simultaneously an anarchist and a fascist at the same time, Donald Trump, if he has some kind of Svengalese Spengal- grip on the minds of his support base, that might say a little more about his opponents than it does about him. (laughs) (laughs) If this horrible dictator anarchist who wants to bathe in the world's blood can still get voted in, it's really not saying much for the other team now, is it? Really. If this, if this awful, awful creature born of a demonic spawn can still get elected, then surely the people who are running against him must be really bad, right? The researchers asked the subjects if they agreed with the following statements. You're going to love this. Now, I want you, we can play along at home. Ask yourself if you agree with any of these following statements, ladies and gentlemen. I fantasize about a natural disaster wiping out most of humanity. (laughs) Do you agree with that statement? This is apparently the this is apparently the the hard boiled, um, you know, intellectual acumen that was going into this research to figure out whether or not Donald Trump supporters are indeed dangerously criminally insane. So, ladies and gentlemen, press one in the chat if you agree with the statement. I fantasize about a natural disaster wiping out most of humanity, such that a small group of people can start all over. Okay. Uh, if you agree with the second statement, I want you to enter two in the chat too. Quote, I think society should be burned to the ground. <laughs> Do you agree with that statement? <laughs> Is this a test? Yeah, we're figuring out if you're a, if you're a real Trump supporter or not. If you're a real MAGA patriot. According to the sociologists who were quoted in this article. Uh, statement number three, ladies and gentlemen, if you agree with statement number three. Sometimes I just feel like destroying beautiful things. Do you agree with statement number three? Feel free to press three in the chat. Or press four. There is no right and wrong in the world. Now, here I was thinking that... Have you ever heard the term uh, cultural equivalence, right? Or false cultural equivalence? Because... We've been told, ladies and gentlemen, haven't we, for the last three or four years, that Donald Trump and indeed the people who support Donald Trump and people who are of a, you know, maybe a more conservative leaning nationalist type mentality, why you have unfair expectations of other cultures around the world. In fact, you have some kind of supremacy. You believe that you are better than everybody else. And that's unfair because uh, there's no right or wrong when it comes to culture around the world, correct? Haven't you heard this before? Just because another culture does something a little bit different doesn't mean that they're wrong, doesn't mean that they're less than you, doesn't mean that they're worse than you. But now, for the purpose of this article, that's all been changed. Now, apparently, it's the Trump supporters who say there is no right and wrong in the world. Do you know why it's all changed now? Because your opponents of the day in this particular atmosphere, at this very moment, have decided to flip the script because they need you to know that you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) so now they believe in right and wrong they believe in objective actual they believe in objective rights and wrongs they no longer believe that uh you know truth is fluid they believe they are the truth they know right from wrong and you don't and you're wrong (laughs) (laughs) isn't it wonderful Isn't it wonderful how decades of accepted political wisdom can be overturned just like that because we don't like the guy in the White House? Listen to this. The extreme discontent expressed in the need for chaos scale is a minority view, but it is a minority view with incredible amounts of support. Um, uh, what? Okay. Minority view, very popular. Very popular minority view. Minority is classified and defined as not many people following it, but this minority view that not many people follow has, quote, incredible amounts of support. Are you following along at home? Is your brain turning into custard? It should be. Quote, a substantial minority of of individuals are so discontent that they are willing to mobilise against the current political order to see what if uh, if what emerges from the resulting chaos has something better in stock for them. People who measure high in the need for chaos scale <laughs> are right wingers, apparently. <laughs> The, the the very same right wingers who are accused of being fascists who want to put everybody in a brown shirt make people march up and down the street perhaps put kids into some kind of boot camp when they turn sixteen you know these are these are the people who want disorder and chaos not the people who don the black mask and kick in shop windows and set Starbucks on fire they're not that they want they're now the law and order party they want order they believe in right and wrong. <laughs> Do you believe this shit? <laughs> Right-wing authoritarians. This is one of the best articles I've ever read. This this will be in the show notes of the uh, of the podcast. So if you look for the podbean link after the show's done, when I upload the podcast, this will be the top article in the show notes. Right-wing authoritarians, a group that strongly correlates with Trump supporters of Republicans, are also emotionally immature. <laughs> well, I'm I'm guilty. <laughs> guilty as charged. Sorry, dickhead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should, learn to t- <laughs> I should learn to take this more s- more seriously, Mr. Poopyhead. Mm. <laughs> that was dumb. This is the conclusion of so- social psychologist Alan Van Hyl and his colleagues in their new paper, quote, "...the relationship between emotional abilities and right-wing prejudiced attitudes." Van Hale explained his findings to the website SciPost, quote, The results of this study were univocal. Univocal? I would have thought that was supposed to be unequivocal, but again, I'm just an amateur at this. People who endorse authority and strong leaders and who do not mind inequality, two basic dimensions underlying right-wing political ideology, show lower levels of emotional abilities. Donald Trump's movement is a type of political body. The brain consists of ideologues, whether they work in the White House, right-wing think tanks and interest groups, the Republican Party, Fox News and other elite groupings. These people see Trumpism as their best chance to destroy America's multiracial democracy, profit from environmental disaster, gut the social safety net destroy the Commons slash taxes on the wealthy and large corporations and install a Christian nationalist regime <laughs> a Christian installing a Christian nationalist regime and what a better guy what a better guy to head up the installation of this Christian, Christian nationalist regime that the man who has had sex with probably every single playmate of the year since the early 1980s. The muscles, bones, guts and sinew of Trump's political body are his coalition of white right-wing evangelicals, white subordinates who do not care about democracy or the country's overall health as long as their 401k accounts continue to grow, and bigoted, rage-filled members of the infamous, quote, white working class. Ladies and gentlemen, yes! (laughs) Now, long-time listeners on this program have often heard me say things like, When you start getting into the elite intellectual left-wing tip, when you start getting into those circles, you would be amazed at the disdain that these people have for the working class. And what they are very good at is getting the working class to vote for the left-wing intellectuals by selling uh, messages of the corporations are out to screw you, your boss hates you, uh, the government is ripping away your welfare, blah, 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 blah. That's them throwing scraps off the table for the, for the working class. In reality, these people hate the working class. You know why? Because the working class are the uneducated. The working class are the rednecks. The working class are the bogans. The working class are the shitty masses that can't live for themselves, can't make their own decisions, can't figure out right from wrong. The, the working class are the uneducated swill of society, according to the left-wing academics. And for all of the pronouncements that they make in public about how they need to protect people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, how they need to look out for the working class because they're being downtrodden by the capitalist superstructure and the patriarchy, when you get these people in private, they will sip their wine and look down their nose at the guy who comes around to empty the ashtrays at the bar that they're drinking at. True story. They care not for the working class they hate the working class. Does Donald Trump's political body and fascist movement have a heart? So now we're back. To, now we're back to calling it a fascist movement, ladies and gentlemen. In paragraph number one, it was "you love destruction and chaos," which, again, from my layman point of view, would be more akin to an anarchist philosophy. And now we're back to calling Donald Trump a fascist. Fascist regimes being historically, as you would all know, the kind of thing that gets voted in or uh, put in power to wipe out anarchists, (laughs) to wipe out the people who want chaos and destruction. So he's the first fascist in history who wants chaos and destruction. So he's a very talented president. Does Donald Trump's political body and fascist movement have a heart? Yes. But it is an organ incapable of caring, concern, empathy, or concern for human dignity, Nevertheless, the Trumpist heart beats hard and fast. Here's the problem with this. Like, we can laugh at it, and I laugh at this stuff because I like to try and de-escalate the nonsense by, you know, pointing out how nonsensical it is. They're, we we start entering very dangerous territory when we start classifying our political opponents' positions not as legitimate uh, points of inquiry or not as legitimate points of disagreement or debate worthiness, when we start classifying our opponents' political positions as being you know, some kind of pathology, that opens up a whole new world to very, very, very dangerous outcomes. In, Sov- in the Soviet Union, political opponents of the Stalinist regime were thrown into mental institutions because they deemed opposition to the communist system to be some kind of mental illness. Like only a crazy person would be against what we're doing. Only somebody who is mentally sick and not with all of their faculties could possibly be against communism. So your, your disagreements and your concerns and your inquiries and your political differences were merely thrown into a bucket and then you were able to be dehumanized and thrown into prison for the rest of your life where if you were lucky, you starved to death very quickly. And if you weren't lucky, you would have to stay there for decades, right? So when we get into this area of classifying our political opponents as being suffering some kind of pathological sickness, right? then we no longer have to listen to anything that they have to say. We no longer have to take their concerns seriously. We no longer have to treat them as fully functioning human beings with thoughts of their own, ideas of their own, and genuine points of difference, right? And imagine, imagine for a moment, if you would, being of the mind where you could, in, in all honesty, you could go out there and write stuff like this and announce to the world, I am so confident that I am correct. Like, take take immigration, for example. Now, you might have, you might say that uh, illegal immigration is a problem. Like, if we want to talk about chaos, and if, if Donald Trump supporters loved chaos, then why don't they love um, upwards of 10 million, perhaps 20 million undocumented people in the country? They would, that, surely that sounds pretty chaotic, having, you know, uh, what 5 or 10 percent of the population not accounted for officially like we've read enough psychological profilings on different political ideas and stuff to know that people who are more conservative in mindset want more they want things to be structured they want to know data they want to know how much is going in and how much is going out they're not really the fly by night types The fly-by-night types are the ones who think more in emotional terms and say, well, it really doesn't matter how many are coming over. The main thing is that we're doing the right thing for them, right? But imagine being of mind to have the balls to suggest that everything I say is so correct, is so correct and infallible. Like you couldn't possibly stand against what I'm saying here in regards to mass immigration that it should just continue. And the reason that I know this is because anybody who is against my position on mass immigration has a pathological sickness akin to a mental illness, which makes them incapable of seeing the truth. Like, imagine being that person. What a a horrible existence you must lead. What a horrible life. Like, I almost feel sorry for you. If you weren't so dangerous, I would feel sorry for you. Completely detached from the world around you. Completely detached from your fellow man. To the point where anybody who disagrees with you is mentally ill. (laughs) Wow. You must be a very miserable, lonely, bitter person to get to that point in life. And then, and then to have the balls to claim that you're the one who's protecting humanity. You know what's best. I'm the one with high emotional abilities. I have empathy. I am the all-seeing and all-capable and all-loving, empathetic, beating heart of the world. For everything I say cannot be challenged because I am the most intelligent guy in the room. And, of course, anybody who would just, who would step up and for some reason, you know, cite some kind of political difference, some kind of ideological difference to these pronouncements that I make, well, they must be pathologically ill. They must be mentally ill. They must be a sick, evil psycho- psychopath to disagree with anything that I say because, obviously, I'm so right. It's horrifying, isn't it? And I need not remind you, ladies and gentlemen, of what happens when people who hold these kinds of ideas, who conduct themselves in this fashion, get into power. And whilst they, whilst they write things like their political opponents are addicted to chaos and want destruction, if you want to see true chaos and destruction, then go back and look at what happens when people who think that they're right and everyone who disagrees with them is mentally ill... See the kind of chaos and destruction that follows once those people get themselves into power. And the unbridled righteousness that comes from thinking that you are the only one who knows and everybody else is less of a human being for merely disagreeing with you. Watch what happens when those people get their hands on the levers of power throughout human history. And the rivers of blood that flow in their wake. So there you have it. Horrifying yet whimsical at the same time, I think. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, like I said, this article will be in the show notes. Donald Trump, King of Chaos, new research on right-wing psychology points toward big trouble ahead. Uh, I've got a couple of other items here. I promised you a bit more fun. Tell you what, like I said in the intro, I said keep it to yourself, but we will probably have to do a show tomorrow. There might be a Thursday night show, six p.m., because I've just got so much to get through here. Uh, Chelsea Handler, ladies and gentlemen, because we're talking about you know doing the right thing and the moral thing. Well, Chelsea has a new has a new documentary coming out examining the concept of white privilege, and what a what a, there there a, a more timely uh, place for this documentary? I can't think of. Because now that we know that uh, Donald Trump and his supporters are merely inflicted with a sick pathological disease known as not being a progressive, now that we know that they're addicted to chaos and destruction and they hate their fellow man so much so that they would like to see, that they would like to bathe in the world's blood effectively, now that we know that, then I need to hear from Chelsea Handler about white privilege. I need to know how can we fix this? How can we get back to normality? Porch Dick, thanks for joining us. So let's see what Chelsea's got to say for herself.
2: Well, and Sometimes you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable yes. situations and feel uneasy about yourself and about things, and you did that many times in this yeah. documentary. You went to an open mic, right, at USC? Yeah. And you had to go up, and I'm assuming you got some funny looks from people, but what was that experience like?
0: It's <laughs> always... It's always the people who live in the most opulence who like to talk about how we need to be more uncomfortable. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that? Remember, these are the people who hate the working classes. These are the people who hate the class of people who get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and shovel shit in the streets. You know what I mean? Why? Because the working classes represent the uneducated masses. The uneducated, racist, redneck masses who are uncultured and care only about white American culture and their hamburgers and their NASCAR and their pro wrestling. We hate those motherfuckers. I can't stand being around the common folk. These are the call signs. These are the mating calls of the liberal elites. And then they get up on TV and they talk about how how everybody needs to feel uncomfortable sometimes. And so, how do we feel uncomfortable? Not every day. We don't feel uncomfortable every day thanks to our, you know, socioeconomic background and perhaps our standing in the capitalist world. No, no, no. We've here at, we here at the Chelsea Handler Show, we experience uncomfortableness by being chauffeur-driven to an open mic night at a university and trying to tell jokes to black people. <laughs> and it was just so confronting. I mean, the black people were looking at me. God, God, it was awful.
2: <laughs> and,
0: and what did you learn from it?
2: It wasn't welcoming. What did you, you learn, know? Chelsea? It was, uh, there, were, there were black people in that room that were taking me to task, saying, all you do is come in here and take, take, take. You making a, a documentary about white privilege is an example of your privilege. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. When you can't be woke enough. <laughs> here I am. Here I am. Here I am. A former a former somebody. You know, I've had a TV show. I'm a blonde white woman. And I want to learn more about white privilege because, damn it, I've just got too much fucking money. So I'm going to head off to the slums. I'm going to head off to the ghettos of a wealthy liberal college and <laughs> go up on an open mic night and talk to the people there about my white privilege. Little did I know that the people in the audience... (laughs) (laughs) Why, you're trying to make a documentary about white privilege? Man, that is such a white privilege thing to do. (laughs)
2: Like,
0: what do you even do at this point? What do you even do? Remember, our first article tonight was uh, a bunch of social scientists and whatnot and psychologists analyzing the chaotic and destructive pathology of right-wing psychology. Now, if, we're, if it's a binary choice, I'm, I'm not saying it's a binary choice, but if it's presented as a binary choice, meaning you can only be the right-wing psychology or the left-wing psychology, I think I know which one I'm taking at this point. Because at least on the right wing, sure, they have no empathy. Sure, they're fascists. Sure, they want to bathe in the world's blood. But at least they know who they are. (laughs) The left wing psychology at this point is feeling guilty for who you are. And then when you try to fix it, being made to feel guilty because you're trying to fix it because you feel guilty. Feeling guilty about being white is an example of white privilege. Trying to make a documentary about white privilege is an example of white privilege. There is literally no right answer over there. So send me the brown shirt, as far as I'm concerned, if we only have a binary choice.
2: And I, y- yes, oh. that is correct. Oh. And it was good for me to hear. I like to be in uncomfortable situations. I, I get off <laughs> on drive. I want, my, I want my opinion changed. I want to think Do differently. You really? mm. Do you really? Um, so instead of trying to convince people of my opinion, yeah. I wanted to be in a situation where my opinion was going to change from others. Mm. And um, having them kind of put me in my place was a great place to start for me.
0: See, it's such garbage too. She says, I want to have my opinion changed. But what she really means is I want to have my opinion changed from wealthy white woman liberal to radical liberal, right? She's she's talking about having her opinion changed to go further to the left. Not, She's not changing her opinion to go the opposite direction. Hell no, because that's just racism and fascism and homophobia and hate speech over there. I'm not going anywhere near that. But it's like... I'm a centre-left wealthy liberal. Change my mind. Hey, have you considered radical communism and racial equality? No, I haven't. I'd love to hear your thoughts. (laughs) I'm open to having my mind changed. I could definitely kick over a trash can. I could definitely burn down a Starbucks right now. Thank you. That was a great place to start on my education. Well done. (laughs) Let's do this one. This, This is one of the hottest takes. This was one of the hottest takes all week. I've saved the good stuff for you. You're listening to The Daily Boogie, and I am Boogie Bumper. Thank you so much for joining us. Felicity Huffman got a light sentence for fraud. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Now, remember. Now, remember, ladies and gentlemen, what people, like, the kind of person who writes for the Washington Post, what they really dislike is when wealthy white people don't get justice, okay? Okay what they really dislike in life is when wealthy white elitists okay when wealthy white women don't feel the same kind of justice that say a woman of color would feel they would say that that's unfair i'm going to give you the hottest take this is this is spin so violent your head will twist right off your neck when you read this <laughs> so how do we spin this in a way that makes sense, which falls in line with our ideology that white people get looked after by the law where women of colour do not. Well, I'm glad you asked. On Friday, US District Judge Indira talwani that's the US District Judge, by the way, sounds like a very white privileged name in of itself, sentenced award-winning actress Felicity Huffman to two weeks in prison, a $30,000 fine, and 250 hours of community service for her conviction for honest services fraud, specifically paying to fake her daughter's college entrance exams. That punishment, <laughs> that punishment, the first to result from the Justice Department's indictments in the Varsity Blues College admissions scandal, sparked comparisons to the fate of Tanya McDowell, A black woman who received a five-year sentence for using a false address to register her son in a better school district. That's right. Felicity Huffman, two weeks. Tanya McDowell, woman of colour, five years. It's not looking good for the privileged white folks, is it? But let the spin commence. I'm intimately familiar with McDowell's case. I was incarcerated with her, but as a white Princeton University graduate, I got a sentence of similar length for 13 felony convictions. And while I understand the frustration about these disparities, I'm glad Huffman got a lenient sentence. When leveraged properly, it could set a precedent that could free a lot of people and get others more humane and appropriate sentences in the first place. (laughs) Yes! Yes, you heard that right. Do not adjust your speakers. Do not adjust your monitors, ladies and gentlemen. For the very same people who have been complaining that the white people don't receive the same sentences as black people, in the case of Felicity Huffman, ladies and gentlemen, they're now saying it's good that Felicity Huffman got a sentence far more lenient than a black woman would get, because maybe now, thanks to Felicity Huffman, the black women won't be treated so harshly. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Felicity Huffman and her privileged jail sentence is going to save all the black women. <laughs> wow. Huh? Huh? How, how about that? <laughs> that is utterly fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, I've been complaining about the white women have been getting lenient sentences for the longest time. I've always had an issue with white women getting lenient sentences. But you know what? God bless Felicity Huffman. God bless Felicity Huffman, because it's about time that somebody put a spotlight on these privileged white girls getting lenient sentences, because maybe now women of color won't be treated so bad. (laughs) She's a trailblazer. She's the white Rosa Parks. She's the white Rosa Parks. She's not going to go to the back of the prison cell Felicity Huffman. Oh, no, she's fighting for racial justice in her two week prison term. Thank God for Felicity Huffman and her light sentence. Finally now, women of color will get to see some justice, Bravo. <laughs> the White Rosa Parks, ladies and gentlemen. All right. <laughs> that's that's got to be one of the fucking hottest things I've ever I've ever seen. Wow. Again, what balls? what balls to even put that out as an argument I'm I'm amazed some of the best spin you'll ever see let's do a little bit of this um I put a tweet out before <clears throat> about uh you know just just wanted to push people to the ledge a little bit if you've been sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for some kind of uh you know big big overwhelming groundswell of Justice to you know take over here, and if you're concerned about things like optics, then I've got bad news for you. Yesterday there was a full house for Corey Lewandowski's hearing. Today, I.G. Horowitz, <coughs> pardon me, I.G. Horowitz was in the at the stand, and barely a seat was filled. Look at all of these empty seats here. Yesterday it was standing room only, as Jerry Nadler, you know, orchestrated the proceedings against uh, Corey Lewandowski. Today, when Horowitz was in there, the you know the guy who's doing all of the internal work, the guy who's looking for all of the looking for all of the corruption and stuff, barely anybody even bothered to show up. And I've had people say to me, oh, you know, it's because the left was scared." Blah blah blah. No no no. Look at the seat. There's very few. Dem- there's there's more Democrats in those seats than there is Republicans. So don't give me it. oh the the left were afraid, the left were running scared, there's no Republicans there either, right? The reality is nobody cared. And if they didn't care, maybe they didn't care how it looked. But if optics is a thing and it's important for people to know that justice is being served, then surely you get your ass to that meeting. Surely you sit down in that fucking chair and you ask Horowitz questions. You try to get a soundbite, at least something to play on the news, right? If you care. But Jim Jordan did make an appearance at some point. So I thought we'd play a little bit of Jim and see what he had to say for himself when faced with IG Horowitz.
1: Unless the ranking member wanted to go. Uh, he's referring to you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Uh, Horowitz, let me pick up right where the gentleman from Florida was. Uh, and I appreciate the letter you sent to uh, chairman and ranking member last Friday on the Friday. upcoming FISA report that is now at, with the Attorney General. Um, but let me let me go first to what Mr. Stubbe just talked about. Have you been asked to testify uh, by, the chairman, uh, by Chairman Cummings or Chairman Nadler about the, the Comey IG report you released three weeks ago? Um, no, I've not. Have you been approached at all by the, the chairman of those respective committees? Personally, I have not. I can check with anybody else in my organization, but I'm not aware of any. And they, they've been asking you about it? Oh, I'm sure they've asked about it. But am I mean, sorry, i about scheduling you, about a, about a hearing. Ask about you testifying and answering questions about that specific report. About a hearing, I don't no hearing? believe there have been discussions. Have you had any discussions with Chairman Cummings or Chairman Nadler about the upcoming Pfizer report, particularly subsequent to this letter, or even before this letter, um, about the Pfizer report when you might testify in front of either committee?
0: Um, we haven't had, to my knowledge, discussions
1: about um, testimony or, or a hearing. We've but discussion, Joan, about the report and the timing, but not about. I the think in your in your letter you point out you talked to looked uh, over a look, uh, hundred interviews, over a million records your your team examined. Uh, you spent a lot of time on this report. This is pretty significant. You would anticipate testifying in front of both the House Oversight Committee, which has jurisdiction over the Inspector Generals, mm-hmm. and the House Judiciary Committee. Is that right? Um,
2: I
0: guess I'm, I would say as to any of my reports, I always um, am available and willing to testify. Um. But then, again, if I'm if I'm Horowitz at this point, I would say, yeah, that's a fair call. But uh, to be fair, Congressman Jordan, I would have expected more of your colleagues to be sitting here in front of me right now instead of looking at two dozen empty chairs. Right? It's like Jerry Nadler hasn't even called up IG Horowitz to talk about the Pfizer report. It's like, never mind that, Jim. 20 of your colleagues didn't even bother to show up when he did go to Capitol Hill. They just left empty chairs sitting there. (laughs) Don't worry about Nadler. What's your team doing, bro? What are your boys doing now? What is it, lunch? Can't make it to the hearing for 20 minutes? Can't get an appearance on TV? Can't have the cameras take your picture? At least it looks like you're paying attention. At least it looks like you give a fuck what this guy's got to say. Even if you don't. Just do what Ted you does and sit there on Twitter while everybody's talking. Down- download Candace Owens talking about Adolf Hitler onto your phone. You could do that. You could play Angry Birds. Who gives a fuck as long as you're there? So Don't worry about Jerry Nadler not calling you up. Here the-, here the guy is sitting here right in front of you and the whole rest of your team didn't even bother to show up. But Putting that to one side. I'm not sure I'd want to uh, advocate for being in... Four hearings, two here and two on the Senate side. So,
1: well, we combined them last year, uh, a year and a half ago. Yes, on one, we we did that. So, all I know is I think, that as, as Mr. Stuby said, this is important information, and frankly, the American people would like to see it. Let me go, if I could, to um, the recent IG report about Mr. Comey's leaked uh, leaked memos, and I want to I want to read from it. I'm, I'm talking about on page 17 of your report, January 7th, 2017, memo number one and you say comey first uh, uh, comey's first one-on-one meeting one-on-one meeting with president trump occurred on january 6 20
0: is, is the cameraman an intern <laughs> who's doing the camera work at this thing they can't even get the good cameraman on set we can't get any democrats to show up we can't get any republicans to show up we can't even get the top cameraman to put a day's work in where the hell was he Instead, we've got some jittery fucker behind the lens going, I don't know where to point it. Zoom out a little bit. You're allowed to zoom out. You don't have to be right in there. You know what I mean? If you zoom out a little bit, get yourself a stand,
1: right? It's not that hard, surely. 17. Is that right? That's right. And before briefing President, I'm reading from your report. Before briefing President-elect Trump, Mr. Comey met with senior leaders at the FBI, Jim Mm Rabicki, Andy McCabe, Jim Baker and Supervisors of the FBI's investigation, is that right? Again, I don't have it in front of me, but that's my Yeah, so he has election. a pre-meeting, they're going to go up to brief President-Elect Trump, right. January 6, 2017, so it's President-Elect Trump at the time. They have a pre-meeting to figure out what how this is going to go, and actually an even more of a pre-meeting they have with Mr. Clapper and Mr. Brennan to figure out how exactly the briefing for the President-Elect is going to happen, is that right? And who's going to do it. And who's going to do what? Right, right. and they break it into two parts, all of them brief the President-Elect, on general assessment, uh, intelligence assessment, the ICA, and then they all leave, and Mr. Comey sits down with the president. Is that right? Um, that's my recollection. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Comey sits down with President-elect Trump and talks to him about what?
0: <laughs> um, original, again, I don't know. Re- original revolution in the chat. Comey not being arrested is helping blacks by displaying his privilege. <laughs> Yes, yes. He's the next Martin Luther King Jr. We've got the white Rosa Parks, Felicity Huffman, and the white Martin Luther King Jr., James Comey.
1: (laughs) What in front of me, my recollection is what we were told is it's
0: a... Taking photos of him walking around on a golf course. You know, on these days, I just think about what freedom means to me. I like to think about how sacred our freedom and democracy is. And that's why everybody needs to get out to vote against Donald Trump. Sure, we might have bent the rules from time to time. We might have done things that weren't appropriate. But, you know, what are ethics really other than the rules that white men set for themselves? <laughs> I'd like to think that I could be uh, kind of an, an example, a beacon of hope, if you will, for the underprivileged and people of color in this out great nation. You see, when a man like me doesn't go to prison, when a man like me isn't interrogated, it gives hope, real hope, to so many people in the underprivileged classes that they too can perhaps one day rise to the position of not being held accountable for their actions. They may never be white, but they can pretend to be. I'm James Comey. I love freedom (laughs) about the what has come to be known as the salacious and
1: unverified reporting about um, certain events in Moscow witnesses interviewed by the OJ also said they discussed Trump's potential responses to being told about the salacious information in the dossier including that President Trump might make statements about or provide information of value to a pending Russia interference investigation is that right that's my recollection. Yeah, so, he, so Comey stuck around and briefed him on the dossier. Well, on that on that one piece of my recollection. Understand. Understand. Um, so what I'm interested in is, is we always thought that this meeting was to give the president the intelligence assessment and, and fill him and give him a briefing. He's president-elect. Um, but it now looks like, based on what you wrote at the bottom of page 17, that they included trying to get information on the pending in Russia Interference. So it wasn't just information going one way. They were actually trying to get information from the President as well. Is that right? That's what we've reported. That's different. That's different. That's something I don't think we knew before. Multiple FBI witnesses recalled agreeing ahead of time that Comey should memorialize this event after it happened, right? Right. So he gets in the car on the way home and he immediately starts memorializing what took place. It's interesting. One of the things that he said the reason they did this was because they thought the president-elect might misrepresent misrepresent what happened in the encounter remember that from the report uh, vaguely yeah again i'd have to it says you know, it on page eight, 18. i think that's a, that's that's amazing to me because the irony was the only one misrepresenting anything it seems to me was mr comey because I was, just, I was just about to say that
0: you quickly get into the car and you memorialize the meeting and you do so under the guise of well I need to keep a record in case, that, in case the president uh, tells lies about what was said in the meeting. But then that can also be the kind of thing where I need to write this down in case the other guy tells the truth about what was said in the meeting, right? I need to put down a record of what I think or what I want what to be what was said in the meeting just in case the other guy blurts out what was really said in the meeting also equally possible the reason that it's portrayed that it's not equally possible is because uh donald trump is portrayed as somebody who always lies and comey is portrayed as somebody who always tells the truth so if if james comey has a recollection of a meeting with donald trump and says one thing and donald trump says something else then you're only going to hear in the corporate press that donald trump is lying about what james comey said and the account that James Comey gave is factual and accurate with no evidence whatsoever. And anything that Donald Trump says about said meeting is merely an attempt to cover up some kind of crime. He's trying to cover up, or it's an obstruction of justice, right? Or he's just attacking the FBI, which was another common line. But yeah, I think the, whole, the most disappointing aspect to all of that is probably the fact that Jim Jordan and maybe one or two other Republicans were the only ones who bothered to show up nobody else gave a damn uh tell you what we'll end on a high note we'll end on something for the ladies shall we we'll end on something for the ladies like i said i might be back tomorrow night because i've got so many flow on pieces i've got an amazing video about a white guy who wants to become an asian <laughs> in in racial appropriation that goes next level um got so many great little videos and little local news stories and stuff but <clears throat> This one I found interesting. It's too, it's it's a male barista, okay? So it's shirtless guys open a coffee shop. But it's interesting for the way, if you don't think that feminist, it, this is going to be a great little boiled down education on how uh, how ideology, how indoctrination takes place and what it looks like. And it's not going to be for the reasons that you think, but you will see clear as day from one particular person. And I'll, I'll give you a chance. I want you to tell me when you see the indoctrination. But this is a prime example of what indoctrination looks like in adult human beings, right? Have a look at this.
2: Barista espresso stands all over Western Washington. Anything look any different here? <laughs> now in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood, there is one with male baristas. Cairo 7's D.D. Sun is there live right now. And D.D. this barista stand is turning a lot of heads. <laughs> It sure is. So the owners of
0: <laughs> I, I bet Dee 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 the on the street reporter is thanking her lucky stars that she had this put on her desk this morning. Dee <laughs> Dee, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to cover the cracked den where the guy decapitated the neighbor's dog? Or do you want to head down to the male model shirtless cafe and have a coffee? <laughs> <laughs> you could tell she's already giddy. <laughs> Whoa,
2: look at the cafe. <laughs> it's going to be fun.
0: <laughs> I'll have 5,000 lattes made really slowly, please.
2: This barista stand tell me that it is the only one in the state with men in swimwear serving espresso. It's still in the sock <laughs> open right now, and the scum,
0: she's wide-eyed and bushy, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed.
2: Two baristas here just put up this sign today, so all day we've been seeing people walk by, look inside, take pictures, uh, <laughs> say hello to these two men here, and it is definitely catching.
0: Hot-blooded, check it and see. Got a fever of a hundred and three. <laughs> you know, I got off this job. <clears throat> I got off this job. Had to knock it back. I'm lactose intolerant.
2: <laughs> people's eye, <laughs> I saw a hunk guy in there. Was Sorry. In
0: his little thing, and he- that was just fucking bad. I apologize. Just you know, posing. <laughs> just, just, adorable. They're adorable.
2: These two baristas. <laughs> turning heads and getting people to pull out their cameras like in Seattle's Capitol Hill.
0: I don't think it's that much of a big deal, is it? <laughs> Another fully grown man walking past. God, get the camera. Get the camera. Quick, look. It's a man with his shirt off making coffee. It's so weird. Neighborhood. <laughs> it was a topless guy sitting in there with, you know, swollen mm-hmm. pecs
2: and whatnot.
1: They're in these uh, kind of like a
0: that's now. That's the guy I want you to pay attention to. Pinochet in the chat saying, "This is my state. I disavow." <laughs> Sorry, man. You'll you'll forever be known as the Gay Cafe. Which which state are they in? Is it is it uh, Washington State? I think they said Seattle uh, City Center. I think so. If it's Washington State, uh, Was- formerly Washington State, formerly the New Somali Republic, now known as uh, Gay Cafe
1: brief bikinis Mm -hmm. and
0: they're all very good looking young men. It's a new espresso stand at Broadway and Harrison called
2: Dream Boys Espresso.
0: Dream Boys. The Dream Boys. (laughs) Do you want cream or sugar? I want sugar. Then cream. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like I I don't have a problem with it. Like if 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 they can make money doing this, I don't I really genuinely don't give a fuck. I'd even go down there for a coffee. But could you imagine like the the could you imagine the line of boomer women <laughs> just standing out there going, "Oh, honey. <laughs> You're so sweet. You don't even need to put sugar in my my tea. Honey, you just dip your little finger in there. That's going to be fine. You just dip your finger in that coffee cup. Mm. So sweet." <laughs>
2: <laughs> advertising hot guys serving hot coffee hot guys. just went up today
0: i worked for starbucks a couple of years back and i really enjoyed being a <laughs> who would have known he was a former starbucks employee i, to... I felt like why can women do it but male can't can yeah see i don't know about that argument well how come women can do it in bikinis but guys can't but they say the same thing about male cheerleaders and it never really works out the way you plan did it
2: Owners of this new coffee stand also own 45 Ladybug Bikini Espresso stands with female baristas across Washington and Oregon. There was one here too for about a year, but they closed a few months back after a lack of business. The owner said their customers and employees suggested hiring men to serve coffee instead. And now, here they are. There's a market for hot guys serving coffee? When isn't there? (laughs) (laughs) Even people who aren't so into the...
0: Now, Now listen, this is key. This is key, okay? This is how indoctrination happens. This is what indoctrination looks like. So they're about to, this guy is about to tell you what he thinks about women in bikini serving coffee. And then he's going to tell you what he thinks about men uh, shirtless serving coffee. If you want to know what indoctrination looks like, this is it.
2: Idea of bikini baristas with...
0: I'll back it up a bit.
2: When isn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Even people who aren't so into the idea of bikini baristas with women. I thought the whole concept was very odd to me. It's very, odd. it feels like something from a bygone era. Bygone era. Honestly, era. I don't think it has any place in today's society. See, they're finding but... this stand has a different vibe. I just thought it was a lot of fun. I've, I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. And it's just like, yeah, oh yeah, this is Capitol Hill. Right? Wow. <laughs>
0: So if you want to see how feminist ideology permeates in society, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Exhibit A. This is the only exhibit you need. Seeing women in bikinis serving coffee is outdated and bigoted and it's it has no place in modern society. Seeing topless men serve coffee is fun and hip and new and why the hell not? <laughs> And here I am, a stupid heterosexual male thinking to myself, "Hang on, why can't women in bikinis serving coffee be fun? Why is it only half-naked men, why is that fun, but half-naked women serving coffee is wrong?" Right? Like surely women in, in if they if they took the job, nobody put a gun to their head, right? So women serving coffee in bikini tops is apparently, oh, no, nah, that's, you know what? We need to do away with this kind of shit. In, it has no place in society. That's Those were his words. It has no place in society. It seems like something from a bygone era. It's weird. It made me uncomfortable, right? Not fun. In other words, not fun. Girls in bikini serving coffee, not fun. It's wrong and weird, and it needs to stop. Topless guys serving coffee, on the other hand. Yeah, why the hell not? It's fun. Hey, it's a modern society. (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how people get indoctrinated in real time. In real time. That's how it goes. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Like I said, I'll probably be back tomorrow night at 6pm for another edition of The Daily Boogie. So uh, hopefully i see you then. I've got so much more stuff to get through. We're going to have a lot more fun too. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to sell me coffee whilst wearing a mankini, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at boogie bumper. Don't forget to follow our friends' new accounts uh, for the best 15-minute data downloads on the interwebs, follow James at JamesR87253010. <laughs> that number again, JamesR87253010. And of course, Chris Mac at the Mac Files 44 uh, Until tomorrow night, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I'll see you again at 6 p.m. Until then, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. Bye-bye.